This is One Bills Live, presented by Kaleida Health. And welcome to a Friday edition of One Bills Live. Chris Brown, Chris Trapasso with you. Steve out for the day, away on holiday. And uh, we're taking you through an OBL Fan Friday mailbag day. Any questions you got, fire them off. Whether it's on Twitter at One Bills Live or you can give us a call at 803-0550-1-888-550-2550. Any and all questions, Bills-related, league-related, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, Chris and I will do our best to answer those to the best of our ability. Before we dive headlong into NFL stuff, I do have to say I saw a tweet on social media, and it made me chuckle a little bit, maybe in a sarcastic way. Because uh, this guy clearly lives not far from where I live, and he and I are among the homeowners that are experiencing the change in flight path Mm. at the Buffalo Airport. For those that don't know, the main runway is being repaved, or re-poured, I should say, because it's a concrete runway, being re-poured basically for the duration of the summer. I think they started in late April or early May. It was right around the draft where they started. So the main runway, which runs northeast to southwest, is the most common landing strip for the planes coming in because, as we know, a lot of our weather comes out of the southwest. Planes like to fly going in, land going into the wind, take off going into the wind. So it's that flight path. And for people in Williamsville, they often see the plane making the last circle to come back down to Cheektowaga to land at the airport. That's at pretty high altitude, though. It's not really low until it's like crossing Transit Road yeah, yep. you know, over by Main Street. So we're all used to that. Now, (laughs) with that runway closed until September, and God, I hope they're done by September, the flight path has changed to their east-west runway, Mm. which basically, on landing, sends planes right through my backyard. All day. And I'm talking wheels down. (laughs) I can see people in the windows (laughs) and wave to them from my backyard. Like, that's how close they are. And uh, and I, it's it's just been an adjustment. I get it. It's temporary. But, man, alive. You want to talk about traffic. And, look, I get it. I live five minutes from the airport. For those people that live directly around the airport, the government gives them soundproof windows, mm. soundproof doors for living there. It's like an accommodation that is commonly made for homeowners within a certain distance from the actual airport property we're outside of that so but you're still getting all the noise oh yeah (laughs) yeah oh no they're not cheating us on the noise that's for sure (laughs) the worst part of it is not the landing as much as it is the taking off at 5 30 in the morning because when the thing's coming in for a landing you know the engines are being throttled back a little bit you know they got the flaps down they're kind of just guiding the thing in when they're taking off, it's full throttle. Engines, you know, afterburners, whatever the heck they're using, it's loud at 5.15 in the morning. And, I'm, and look, I'm an early riser, but I'm just like, jeez, yay, how many planes are there at 5 in the morning? <laughs> and this needs to be done for you by September with the Bills having so many night games this oh, year. Oh, God. You got to get your sleep right by the time the Bills are playing football yeah. again. So hopefully that originally set will be done by September deadline yes. actually comes the, you know, it like ultimately happens. Yeah. And like That'd I said, good. I'm fortunately for me, I'm an early riser. Um, but even five is ungodly for me. I don't get up that <laughs> early. So it's a little bit of a nuisance right now. And I'm just 
knowing it's temporary is probably the only thing that's allowing me to tolerate it. I saw my neighbor the other day. I was like, I said, you look exhausted. He goes, can't sleep. I said, why? He goes, the planes can't sleep. Can't sleep. I'm up. I'm up. And once I'm up, I'm up. And that's it. He goes, I had four hours of sleep last night. It was terrible. I was like, okay. So I'm not even. I'm not He's even probably the, not laughing today about no, this. Well, no. So <laughs> he, yeah, he was hot. And, um, you know, it's just, it's, you know, it's part of the deal. I mean, the, the runway is not going to last forever. They got to fix it. Safety, all that stuff. I get it. But it's, it's, we're like almost three months in now and i'm just like oh boy i hope and this has never i hope they finish on time not in the time i've lived where i live now for the last 18 years and it's not happened and it has not happened before so i don't know maybe those runways have a shelf life of about 20 years and you you know so there you go but man it is uh it's taken some adjusting for sure it's funny because the little kids love it they're like ah little little kids in the neighborhood they're just like that a plane a plane so they love it I'm sure their parents don't when they're trying to put them down. It's, no. you know, 8 o'clock to go to bed. But, yeah, it's, it's been an experience this summer for sure, uh, to say the least. So it, I, I had to laugh when I saw this guy <laughs> complaining about it on Twitter. I'm like, I feel you, man. I feel you. Uh, you did you get away at all in the, since the last time we saw you in here? Yes. We have a cottage in Chautauqua Institution oh, nice. that my parents have had since the 70s. They bought it before there were... So it's on Chautauqua Lake? It's in the institution, which okay, is on the okay. lake. We're like we're pretty far away from the lake. We're not on the water. We're not on the water, but we're in the institution. So I was there cool. for the 4th of July with my family. We didn't have any problems with any airplanes flying over our heads. So our kids <laughs> were well slept. They had a fun time at the beach and things like that. But it kind of feels like we have, like, what, one more week? And then it's training camp. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's pretty much the deadline. Did, mm-hmm. how, how is the fishing down there? Do you know? Is that a good lake for uh, fishing? It is. I don't, like... I mean, I'll fish, but I don't go on like fishing trips. Yeah, I have some friends that, yeah, but I have some recreational friends. Fishermen. I'm a rec- yes, some friends and their dads and their uncles that go to Chautauqua Lake for the fishing. Okay, I don't know what kind of fish there are, but apparently it is a almost like a destination lake. Oh, really? In the area? Okay. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I'm still look with the jobs that we have. There's not a lot of leisure time to do that kind of stuff. But I did get out with my son the other day, just locally creeks and stuff, nice. trying to get some lines in the water. You know, nothing big. We're just catch and release kind of stuff. And so I'm I'm trying, you know, to try to get a better handle on good spots to go and all of that stuff. And I've done the salmon fishing up on Lake Ontario, which is a mm-hmm. blast. Yeah. You got to get a charter captain to kind of help you out there. You know, they know where to go, and they got the poles with the metal lines and everything. Mm-hmm. That is a work. That's fun. That is a – I've done that. Right? It's like you get a big one. It's like a half hour getting them in. Yeah, and it's it it feels like you're trying to like reel in like a bowling ball. Like they're heavy. Right, and you're heavy. only you know you pull and then you reel up the slack, <laughs> yeah. and it's like a foot of slack. <laughs> yeah, and you're looking at the counter on the reel, and it's like you still have 450 feet to go, yep. and it's just like, oh dear God, like mm-hmm. is this am I ever gonna get this thing in? And then sometimes they run on you after you start reeling them in, yeah. and all the progress you made is just out the window but it's a good day out on the boat there it goes. a good day oh, early there, in the morning you're out there plenty of space on those big charters it's i've always seen a lot of fun i've seen the the uh statement board that says the worst day fishing is still better than the best day working and that is 150 percent true um i guess unless it's pouring and there's lightning and you <laughs> run the risk of getting hit since lightning's attracted to water but yep. that's neither here nor there as we mentioned it is fan mailbag friday 
Any question you have about the Bills, the league at large, anything else on your mind, football-related, hit us up at 803-0550, 1-888-550-2550. Maybe you got a question about a position battle, who might be the candidates. Steve and I were discussing some of those on our latest podcast, Bills by the Numbers. Uh, so if you want to get more in-depth on that, you can check that out. It's up on all your podcast platforms. But Chris and I are here to kind of answer any questions you might have as we are now less than two weeks away from the first practice at training camp, which is kind of exciting. Uh, we also have to go around the NFL now because there are some interesting news and notes that are developing here. Obviously, the big news yesterday was the Quinn and Williams contract, four years, $96 million. There is not nearly as seismic Jets news today, um, but Aaron Rodgers who's out at the American Century Championship in Lake Tahoe, as a lot of football players are playing in that tournament. I wouldn't be surprised if Josh is out there. I didn't look he at is, He is playing. He usually plays yeah. in it. I didn't look Roma. at the leaderboard to see all the yeah. names, but I would assume he's there. In any event, uh, a media member stopped Rodgers and asked him his thoughts on now being the subject of the latest edition of Hard Knocks. And so for the first – and, you know, this let, it's been made no secret – They're forcing the Jets to do this. Mm -hmm. There were four teams they could have picked from. The Jets were clearly the one with the most attractive storylines, you know, between Sauce Gardner, Aaron Rodgers obviously being there, uh, the Quinn and Williams deal now that it's done. So there's a lot lot of catchy headlines Mm -hmm. that can develop out of Jets camp. But basically this was Rodgers' quote because he was not thrilled that the Jets are the subject of hard knocks. He says, quote, I understand the appeal with us. Obviously, there's a lot of eyes on me, a lot of eyes on our team, a lot of expectations on our squad. So they forced it down our throats, (laughs) and we've got to deal with it. When I saw this today, Pro Football Talk, Mike Florio, obviously spun off an article from this quote, and I just thought, this is like where it, it starts right yeah. here. I, I didn't I hadn't seen the quote yet. It wasn't quite as incendiary as I thought it could have been coming out of the mouth of Rogers, but to say forced it down our throats, I don't think there's gonna be any issues on the show. But the first kind of complaint about going to New York, being in that media, and now you're on HBO, they're gonna be in your locker room, in your practice room, meeting room, when probably Rodgers and certainly Robert Salas said earlier, the head coach, that they don't want to be on there. This is like the first wake-up call for Rodgers where everything he's been to Knicks games, he was at Rangers games, everything's been good to this date, but now you start to get the avalanche of media starting with hard knocks. Right, and it's not like this is your third-string safety saying this. (laughs) It's your quarterback quarterback (laughs) of the football team who is – been the most pumped-up player acquisition of the entire offseason. And we understand why, but when he says something, it gets a lot more attention. And so I'd love to see the HBO execs. Like, are they like, what the hell is this, man? Like, are they going back to the NFL saying, hey, we're paying you guys, like, a lot of money Mm -hmm. to get this kind of access, and this is how we're going to get – Treated like what the heck's going on? Another way to kind of look at this is that his like in that quote, there obviously there's a lot of eyes on me. me. He loves that. I for as much uh, controversy or how much of a polarizing player Aaron Rodgers is, I I actually don't mind him looking at different ways for health and doing the 
uh, you know, sensory deprivation tank, whatever he did. <laughs> I'm fine with that to, to um, test the waters on some of those newer health things. But everything else about him trying to kind of play both sides of, hey, I don't want these cameras in my face, but actually I really do. And yeah. seemingly always tries to keep himself at the forefront of the news ticker in the NFL. That to me is what I don't like about him in terms of just off the field. Mm-hmm. That go ahead, you know, can make fun of him for ayahuasca or whatever that is. But the like always wanting the attention on him and then now saying this and saying it was forced down their throats doesn't really align to me. And and right. I think he kind of plays it where he wants the attention, but if the Packers start off not very well over the last couple of years, he's mad at the media for asking him questions, what's wrong. I think the same could happen with the Jets. They could be very good, and that may never be an issue. But if there are any shaky performances or if the Jets aren't clearly one of the best teams in the AFC right away, he will suddenly turn on the media and all the attention and say, hey, I didn't want this, when, yeah, he really does. He he is very media astute. Yes. And he knows how to manipulate the narrative. Around him. Yes. So if and when he chooses to try to shape the message, will be very interesting to keep our eyes on through the sure. course of the episodes that will be coming out next month. So I got to tell you, I'm looking forward to it. Me too. Um, they're di- the Jets obviously are di- dismissing it as a distraction. I would expect any team that is the subject of hard knocks to take mm-hmm. that stance. So that's of no surprise to me. But to be that blatant about <laughs> having it getting yeah, forced HBO down probably their wasn't happy with that. Yeah. Uh, I want to jump ahead to the Patriots. Interesting comment uh, from one of the Patriots players, Adrian Phillips, veteran safety. And he was asked about the, the Patriots schedule and the quarterbacks they're going to have to face in their own division, especially six games, two against Aaron Rodgers, two against Tua, who led the league in passer rating, and two against Josh Allen. Not to mention you got Dak Prescott, Jalen Hurts. You know, you got that crew uh, coming through because they're playing the NFC East this year, along with, what is it, the AFC West. West yeah. Mahomes. Herbert. Herbert. Like, <laughs> holy crap. Like, if you're – considered to be less than upper echelon, that's a tough road to hoe. So Adrian Phillips was asked, hey, with all these quarterbacks, are you guys going to have answers defensively? So here is Adrian Phillips' quote. You look at our schedule, it's stacked with a bunch of quarterbacks. But honestly, we haven't really talked about those guys in the offseason because it's not about them, it's about us. We know that Bill Belichick is a master game planner when we get into the week-after-week stuff That's when we really talk about those guys. Well, that's all fine and well. Master game planner. I know he's got a track record of coming up with masterful game plans, particularly in Super Bowls. But the recent history is not good, Chris. I looked it up just with the division guys, okay? So Rodgers, as we know, has only played since 2020. Rodgers has only played against the Patriots once. It was last year. They won 27-24. Okay. Tua has played against them four times. He's 4-0. Whoa. Josh has played against them six times in, since 2020. He's 5-1 and one. with the windswept 14-10 game, the only loss. Mm-hmm. So that's great, Adrian, but 
I haven't seen the answers in the last three years from big old Bill. Uh, I was looking at some of these numbers and... Uh, Josh has torn them up. Josh 83% is... winning percentage in the last three years. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> and, and two is perfect. He's 4-0. 4-0 against Belichick in the last three since he came into the league. So, yeah, um, he's going to have to come up with some different game plans if he's going to have more success here. Yeah, and I think we all realize that the NFL is a what-have-you-done-for-me-lately league. Now, of course, like you mentioned, Bill Belichick, game plans and Super Bowls, the most accomplished head coach of all time with all the Super Bowl rings. Yeah, and held McVay to three points when, yeah, when, they, when, they, the were, Bowl, when they were really when they were humming. the cat's meow, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But at this point, the last couple of years, I, I don't know if it's Belichick has not evolved with the, with the mobility that he sees um, out of a lot more quarterbacks than he did 5, 10, 15, 20, 30 years ago, or just they don't have the horses on defense like they used to, especially up front. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure what it is. I will say if Bill Belichick can keep the Patriots relevant until December-ish, that will be a really good coaching job because I think yeah. offensively they don't they don't stack up with even the top six or seven or eight teams in the AFC. Now on defense, I think he does a pretty good job and and he can and make he's got it Judon and Barmore should come back from injury. I and think the safeties he's an are underrated good. Underrated player and the safeties are good. Yeah, and they play a three safety look a lot of the time. So and Christian Gonzalez, knock on wood, should be a good instant impact player for them. Mm-hmm. I mean. I know you follow the draft closely. He is the most fluid athletic corner I've seen in a long time. And I he's was a man amazed cor- at how easy he makes playing cornerback look. And he's a man corner guy all the way, and that's what Bill Belichick has liked. He's had with from Ty Law to Stephon Gilmore to Darrell Revis, even when yeah. Malcolm Butler, he kind of plucked him from obscurity and made him that quality player that he was um, – J.C. Jackson before he goes to the Chargers. He loves those man corners. So I think it's never going to be easy when you're a quarterback or you're an offensive coordinator facing the Patriots, but to come out and just be like, hey, Bill's got Josh Allen, he's got Patrick Mahomes and Justin Herbert figured out is a little too much, I think. Yeah. I mean, we're talking about a 10-1 and record in the last three years by these three quarterbacks against the Patriots. Yeah. I mean, that's that's eye-popping as far as I'm concerned. And Steve and I were talking about it on the show yesterday, Chris. You've got the Ben Volin report in the Boston Globe earlier this week that said friends of Belichick are concerned about his job security mm. if this season doesn't go well. Now, I think we got to take that with a grain of salt. I could understand why his friends are concerned. How realistic is that proposition? Well, if they go seven and ten or six and eleven. Maybe all bets are off. I would like to think that Kraft, having gone to, what is it, nine Super Bowls with <laughs> Belichick and winning six of them, that would count for something. But as it was pointed out in the write-up, they don't have a playoff win in five years now. Wow, That surprised me. Like it I was did, like, yeah. wow, yeah, it's that been is. that long mm-hmm. since they've had a playoff victory? 
it surprised me a little because, you know, you, you kind of lose one year, blends into the next, and you're sure. like, ah, it's only been a couple of years since they've been in the playoffs and won. And it's like, no, it's five years now. The intriguing thing, though, with Belichick when it comes to his job security is that he's the general manager, too. So he's running the drafts. He's running free agency. And that has allowed for him to get a lot of praise for when they were so good for so long. I mean, having Brady, obviously, was the ultimate equalizer. But if you go five years without making – or winning a playoff game, your offense is clearly falling behind the rest of the league, and you were the guy drafting these receivers and drafting Mac Jones and not signing the right free agents, uh, you're going to ultimately take the brunt of the criticism for that as well. So it's yeah. not just like in most situations, hey, he's the head coach, the GM isn't doing a good enough job bringing in the players. And I'm the biggest advocate for you know players matter more than coaches at the NFL level, I think. But with – with Belichick, you're also like, hey, he's the one that is bringing in these players. Yeah. So just look at the roster, especially on offense. Defense, respectable to maybe upper echelon in the AFC. The offense is near the bottom of the conference. Yeah. Uh, speaking of Patriots, it's a Patriots-related topic. Uh, under the file this under, please God no. <laughs> Tom Brady remains retired. Uh, as of right now, but Bill uh, Buck safety, Antoine Winfield Jr. believes the team is trying to coax Brady out of retirement again. Oh, my God. Um, this was Winfield's quote. I'm sure we'll st- we're still reaching out to him, trying to see if he's trying to come back to the team. Hey, it could happen. Anything's possible. And he also said it's up in the air, man. So it sounds like he's entertaining it as a possibility. You know, he's in the building. Like, he may have heard a few things here or there. I don't know how much stock we can put into what Antoine Winfield Jr. says. He's not in the front office. But you know what it does say to me? It says nobody's all that impressed with Baker Mayfield and Kyle Trask. Uh, No, definitely not. I, I don't think that's a surprise. Um, to me, and again, we don't know this. Maybe you would have a better handle being around an NFL team all year. I feel like this is just a player kind of saying, hey, I'm, I'm sure we're still reaching out to him. Almost like wishful thinking, but not talking to the GM. And it's not a report. He's not Antoine Winfield Jr. is not a source here that they're actually talking to him. Brady, uh, you know, is trying to buy a stake in the Raiders. Mm-hmm. He's actually come out on social media and said, I, I am retired multiple times. Still retired. Still retired. Um, I think this is more just wishful thinking from Antoine Winfield Jr., who's coming into the prime of his career. And then there was that video a few weeks ago of Baker Mayfield and Kyle Trask like missing every target at minicamp. So he went from being a safety on a team that won a Super Bowl in the first year with Brady, got to play with Brady, it elevated that team to new heights, to seeing Baker Mayfield on his, what, third, fourth team? Yeah. And Kyle Trask, who just don't instill a lot of confidence into this offense. I think it's more just wishful thinking than anything else. $35 million in dead cap money for the Bucks to not have Brady on their team uh, after you know giving him all that money when he signed with the club. And then, as you mentioned, Brady's trying to be a minority stakeholder in the Raiders. That would obviously complicate things if he did decide to come out of retirement. So, yeah, I would tend to agree with you. I think it is wishful thinking. Um, and then finally... Rivers, Philip Rivers, he's not playing football, but he's still hard at work in terms of growing his family. Holy cow. All I got to say is 
now that they've announced that child number 10, that is not a typo, child number 10 on the way for Philip Rivers and his wife, God bless his wife, Tiffany. Yes. 10 children. I am not even a woman that has the slightest or foggiest idea of the difficulty of pregnancy and childbirth. And I feel for the woman. I mean, honest to Pete, Philip, 10 kids? He so, could field a football team. Exactly. Like, I was going to say, have you ever seen those pictures on a wedding day where the groom is under center and he's got his groomsmen as yeah, the offensive yeah, yeah. line? It, they're kind of funny. In like five years or five to seven years, Philip Rivers needs to field an entire offense, offensive right. line. Maybe uh, 11 personnel, three wide receivers, (laughs) a running back, all of his kids. And his wife can take the picture. That is hats off to her. I'm surprised that they're both okay with this, but I guess they just want to have like the biggest, most famous family in the the NFL or really in the world. There's one area that Phillip Rivers is not retired in, and that's baby making, apparently. (laughs) So, all right, congratulations on uh, number 10, because that – I had two. And man-to-man defense was challenging enough. Same, same. And they say when you go from two to three, that's a big change. I can't – well, I, and then I've heard people say this. After three, that it's the yeah, same. It's, like all, it's, all the, it's all a wash. You could go four, five, like six, four, seven. Like four, five, six, and seven, it's all a wash. It's because just at that point, Well, at that point, you're having the oldest ones help you take care of the youngest yeah. ones, and it's you know all hands on deck, quite literally. So, okay – I, I can't speak on that from experience, but that's what people have told me that have large families. Ten feels excessive. <laughs> Very five excessive. feels excessive. Yeah, he's doubled it. <laughs> I mean, I'm you know I'm glad they're 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 all about expanding their family, but whew, I'd love to see what the Rivers compound looks like to house all it's these people. Be huge. And I mean, what about like moving your kids around? Like, what kind of vehicles do they have? Oh my gosh! They've got to have the fifteen-passenger suburban or just something. to like, like the fifteen-passenger van or one of those sprinter vans yeah. that you see the hotels got to be used for valet and <laughs> and shuttle service to the airport. They need one of those. Yeah. I mean, it's not like he can't afford it. He's you know probably made well over two hundred fifty million dollars in his football career. So you know, fortunately for him, he's in a position where he can have a 10, 10 kids. So congratulations. Hope everything goes well with number ten. And God bless your wife, Philip, because she deserves it. Yeah. Holy mackerel. <laughs> um, that is Around the NFL, presented by Collider Health, the official health care system of the Buffalo Bills. We mentioned that it is OBL Fan Friday mailbag, so any questions that you have, fire them off to us either on Twitter, at One Bills Live, or on the open phone lines we have right now, 803 one 888 We had a caller holding on there earlier, and they, they jumped off. They wanted to know what's the situation with Diggs now. And all I can tell you is it's, it, there isn't a situation. He's fully expected to come to training camp with no issues. As we know, he finished up minicamp with his teammates um, on the last day of practice because they canceled the day that followed that, which is typical mm-hmm. with three-day minicamps. They cancel the last day and let the players get away early. So that's been that, and everything is kind of water under the bridge at this point. Deion Dawkins made an appearance on the Colin Coward Show when he was out west for the ESPYs, and he was asked about it, and he said it is a non-issue. Yeah, I think 
Yeah, I think by the second week of August, I don't want to say that we'll all forget about this weird incident, but it will be on the back burner. Yeah. Diggs, when he's on the field, there's never once been any incident or any accusation that he doesn't work hard and he's not extremely focused on becoming the best receiver he can be. Yeah. We are going to step aside here. When we come back from break, though, it's your phone calls, your questions on the Friday fan mailbag, Bills, NFL, anything under the sun. Uh, we're here to help. So we'll take your phone calls and your questions when we return. Here on One Bills Live, presented by Collada Health, it's Buffalo Bills Radio. Back on One Bills Live here on a Friday. Chris Brown, Chris Paso with you. Going to go right to the phones here on this Friday fan mailbag for your questions. Leading us off today, Bob in Hamburg. What do you got for us, Bob? Hey, gentlemen. How you doing today? Hey, I'm just, you know, sitting here thinking, you know, with the expectation level of the Bills, as it was going into last year's training camp where they were crowned pretty much, you know, they're the team to beat in the NFL. So this year where I'm reading online and how much shade is being thrown the Bills' way for everything, for their defense, the dig situation, you would think it was the bickering Bills again. Do you think that will be a motivating factor for the Bills looking into it this year? And we all know they read, so it's not like they, they're saying they're going to ignore everything and that's no big deal. But do you think that's gonna, they're going to look at it and say, hey, you know what, we got to pull up our bootstraps and we got some work to do? Yeah, I mean, I I think this is a team that's pretty inherently motivated to begin with. But anything to spice up the recipe, I'm all for it. And you can bet that this is being put in front of players somewhere, somehow, Mm -hmm. in this facility when they come back. You know, it's always funny to kind of think of the mental gymnastics that coaches go through to try to tweak (laughs) players and get a little extra out of them. And I don't know if you want to shoot that bullet now. You know, before you know, you're a month and a half away yeah. from real football. But I wouldn't remind reminding everybody on September 10th in the evening meeting before the game the next day for Week One, um, whether you're showing everybody crowning the Jets like they were doing with the Bills last year. Yeah, you could. I think you could use it as a coach to motivate your team, and I wouldn't be surprised if Coach McDermott does. Yeah, to me, this. Uh... I guess my thought on this is that recency bias is a hell of a drug. And coming off the 13-second game, how good of a game that was, it kind of felt like the Super Bowl, like the winner of that or yeah. like of that game would win the Super Bowl. Obviously didn't happen. But that game, I think, sparked all of the, oh, my God, the Bills are so good. Like they were this close in that ridiculous game on the road. Mm-hmm. And that last year, losing how they lost in the division round, you would have thought the Bills snuck in as the wild card and went 8-8 eight and eight or whatever it was. <laughs> right. I think the 2022 Bills were actually better than the 2021 Bills if you look at the entirety of the season. They had a better record. I think they were more consistent. There was that rough patch in 2021 where they lost to the Jaguars, what, 9-6. to They went 11-6 and during the regular season. I think this year the team is deeper. I think they're more equipped to meet the expectations of, say, last year that were probably – uh, inflated just because of that final game, and they're probably deflated because of how that divisional round game went against the Bengals. Yeah, I mean, they were inflated because of that and because of the Von Miller acquisition. Sure, that's when sure, people sure. went cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs after they got Von Miller. Like, ah, it, it's the Bills. It's nobody else. It's the Bills. 
2022, year of the Bills. And then, you know, there was no controlling it after that. Um, but, yes, I think the roster is deeper this year than even it was last year, and I think it's in a position where it can withstand some of the adversity a bit better than it was able to last season. Yeah, you just took the words out of my mouth. I was going to say the Von Miller signing definitely – was what spawned a lot of the Bills as Super Bowl favorite talk along with that division around game against the Chiefs. But it it feels like what you just said, having more depth and having yeah. Leonard Floyd and Puna Ford and Taylor Rapp and Damian Harris. It's like Brandon Bean learned from last year that, hey, you can sign a Von Miller, but he can also get hurt. And then suddenly you don't have Von Miller. Yeah. That he was the one splash signing, usually in the NFL, while that guy can move the needle a lot. It's the uh, quantity of acquisitions that you make drafting Dalton Kincaid to add to your offense that ultimately matters more over the course of a very long NFL season. Yeah. Let's go back to the phones. We go to Brian in Alabama next. What do you got for us, Brian? Hey, good afternoon, fellas. How you guys doing? Doing well, thank you. Uh, but so one thing that I, I think is kind of for certain with this team is We'll always have continuity on the defensive side of the ball because of our head coach being defensive-minded. Um, with that being in mind, um, I, I'm, I'm being highly optimistic that our offense will do good this year. So who do you guys feel like is kind of being groomed behind the scenes to take over the offensive coordinator position if Ken Dorsey does, in fact, get opportunities following this year? Yeah, that would be Joe Brady. The quarterback's coach. Um, He came in last year. For those that don't remember, he was the OC down at LSU when they won a national title with Joe Burrow as their quarterback. And then he went on to the NFL, became the OC in Carolina. Things were a little rocky there. They were a little uneven. And he lost his job there. And the Bills quickly scooped him up, knowing they were going to they had probably already made the decision that they were going to promote Ken Dorsey to the offensive coordinator position and then scoop Joe Brady up to be the quarterback's coach. And I would, I would assume that he is the guy that they would groom to be the next offensive coordinator to, again, maintain that continuity. And I know there are a lot of Bills fans out there that are bothered by the fact that their head coach is not an offensive play caller because it disrupts the continuity of the offense in terms of who's calling the plays. Uh, I get it, but if you have a good coach, that shouldn't completely upset the apple cart. And I think to a large degree, it did not last year. Buffalo's offensive numbers were outstanding. They were second only to the Chiefs, who won the whole thing last year in a number of different categories. And that was with a guy doing it for the first time at the NFL level in Ken Dorsey last year. So let that percolate in your head a little bit. Then realize that the guy that could be his successor, if Dorsey starts getting head coaching offers, if they have a successful season this year, that Joe Brady's done it at the college level and he's done it at the NFL level. Um, So that counts for something walking in the door if, in fact, he is the heir apparent and Ken Dorsey moves on for an opportunity he can't pass up this time next year. And what I really like about the grooming of Joe Brady, he only turns 34 in September. You mentioned playing or coaching Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase and Justin Jefferson, that ridiculous offense. He definitely is a progressive mind. He knows how to install RPOs. He's 
up with the modern evolution of today's NFL. So I think if there was ever an instance, whether it be in a year or two years or three years where Ken Dorsey's out the door, you're not relying on a veteran that kind of came up in the 80s or 90s or early 2000s. You're talking about someone that is right at the precipice of what teams are doing offensively with yards after the catch, with screens, with high percentage throws, things like that. Back to the phones and to Mark in West Seneca. What do you got for us, Mark? Hi, guys. Uh, a couple questions on the D side of the ball today. Um, first of all, I, I seem to think that A.J. Klein might have the advantage at the uh, middle linebacker competition. Uh, assuming he's got anything left in the tank, uh, I'm thinking that his veteran leadership and being in this defense for a number of years under McDermott gives him that, that heads up. And then on uh, D tackles, if they decide to go with only four, and not five. Uh, I'm thinking, unfortunately, Tim Settles might be the odd man out. I'm wondering what you guys might be thinking. Yeah, I, I understand what you're saying there, uh, Mark, first on the D-tackle point, because it it's a logjam. I is. mean, let's not make any mistake about it. I mean, Daquan Jones, to me, is a lock. Ed Oliver, who just signed the extension, is a lock. I would say Puna Ford is a lock because of his talent level. I mean, he upgrades that unit, clearly, Jordan Phillips, provided he's healthy, is a big body that you kind of need. And I think him being able to play a full-time three technique as the rotational guy behind Ed Oliver, you're going to get a lot more out of him than you did last year when he was switching back and forth between the three and the one, Mm -hmm. due in part to some injuries because Oliver missed time, Settle missed time with the calf injury early in the season, and then obviously Phillips got injured himself with a hamstring followed by a torn rotator cuff. Um But then at the same time, Chris, all those injuries at defensive tackle might give the coaching staff pause and say, well, maybe we should carry five good ones. Yeah, and it also, it's along the entire defensive line. What happens at the edge rusher spot? Does A.J. Epinesa and Boogie Basham, do they both have big summers? And then suddenly you're like, hey, maybe we can only keep four D tackles because we want to keep an extra defensive end. Which is what they did last year. Five ends, four DTs. So. Or is it, hey, maybe A.J. Epines has done enough to maybe be on the trade block and you can get a pick for him, then you can carry five DTs. We just know that Sean McDermott in this defense, and now especially because he's calling the plays, they're going to rotate a lot. Eight, nine deep between 30 to 70% of the snaps. Um, And it does seem like one of the lower-cost players like Tim Settle have to have the hardest time to make this team or have their work cut out for them. Yeah. They have to have a big tra- uh, training camp and probably some big performances in the preseason. Yeah, I mean, in all fairness, he got off to a slow start because he had a calf injury in camp then it, or in the preseason, and then it resurfaced early in the regular season. I think it kind of set him behind the eight ball a little bit, and he never gained traction after that to make the kind of impact that I think we were expecting, especially with the opportunity at a potentially expanded role from the one he had previously in Washington. Mm -hmm. And if he comes in again and doesn't raise the meter on his performance, yeah, he could very well be the odd man out. As for A.J. Klein, this is kind of how I view the Klein situation. He's here for a reason. We know that McDermott likes veteran players in every position room on the roster. Klein is clearly that for the linebacker position. I don't expect to see him a whole lot rotating in at the Mike linebacker spot for this competition because they already know 
what he can and cannot do. He played for four seasons for McDermott in Carolina as a younger player. He's been here in and out a couple of times. They know what his skill set is. They know he knows the defense. They don't need to see him getting reps. The problem that works against him, as I see it, is the whole matchup linebacker job description that they want from that position. I think we all remember when he had to step in for Tremaine Edmonds a couple of years ago, the first game was a little bit of a struggle because they were trying to ask him to do some of the same things in coverage that they were asking Edmonds, and that is not his strength. So in terms of being a matchup guy in coverage, that's not who he is. So does that give him a limitation that prevents the coaching staff from saying, He's part of the competition. He's part of the equation to be the starter. I think he's veteran insurance in case the whole thing collapses and nobody looks like they're ready to start amongst the younger mm-hmm. set of players. Yeah, I would say this. I don't like he's in the most unique situation, maybe on the entire defense, where I'm not going to even write him in pencil for the middle linebacker spot for all those reasons that you just pointed out. But I think he's a lock to make the roster. Yes. Because. All the things yes, that you said. Yes, I would agree with that. He he's, you know, knows the scheme. He's been here. He's a veteran. They can plug him in in an absolute emergency situation, and his head is not going to be spinning. But I don't think there's a very high likelihood at all or a high percentage that he's a starting middle linebacker when right. Aaron Rodgers is out there on Monday Night Football. And when you think about it, too, they still have a lot to learn about Terrell Bernard, Balin Spector, Dorian Williams. Yeah. I mean – they probably have a good handle on Tyrell Dodson mm-hmm. because this is his year fourth year. But those other three guys, they got to get them reps with starters around them to see how they handle that stuff. Not only their own execution, but the organization of the defense. And th- with three or four guys potentially in the mix, reps for A.J. Klein kind of take away from reps for the younger guys. And in 2020, when he did start to settle into his role that was a little bit closer to the line of scrimmage, kind of as an yes. overhang linebacker, I think it's good to have that type of linebacker on your roster in specific matchups against specific teams if you're facing a run-heavy team or a team that doesn't have a lot of firepower offensively in terms of their aerial attack, where he can just blitz, he can just worry about clicking and closing downhill. Um, that's where he's a bigger linebacker. He's strong. He can beat blocks. That's when he had that big game against the Seattle. Yeah. Yes. So to have that player, it's kind of like, to me, like the defensive version of having a fullback where you don't use him a lot, but it's still nice to have for versatility purposes yeah. or matchup purposes. He's the classic insurance policy for mm-hmm. sure. We have to take a break here, but more of your phone calls when we come back. Eddie in Scottsdale is going to lead us off as we're taking more of your phone calls here on a Friday fan mailbag. It's One Bills Live, presented by Collider Health. This is Buffalo Bills Radio. All right, welcome back here on a Friday. One Bills Live, Chris Brown, Chris Trapasso with you. Going to jump right back to the phones. we got people patiently waiting. Do have an open line for you, though, at 803-0550, 1-888-550-2550. It is the Fan Friday mailbag. Any question you have on the bills, the league at large, fire them off. Chris and I will do our best to answer them. We go to Eddie in Scottsdale next. What do you got for us, Eddie? Hey, how you doing, guys? I'm an old season ticket holder from the beginning, 1960 to 1997, and I moved to Scottsdale. I've always wondered this, the way defensive ends are nowadays, speedy and agile, 
What, has anybody ever thought of putting a very agile, speedy defensive end at middle linebacker? I'll hang up and listen. Yeah, um, not so much. I mean, I think you see those tweener guys in the draft, and sometimes they're better suited for a 3-4 where they are out in space a little bit more mm-hmm. and not grinding up at the line as much. Um, but middle linebacker is a completely different yeah. animal. Yeah. Different angles, different keys to read, all of that stuff. That would be a, a whale of a transition, I would think. Yeah, this is one that I'm going to say I'm going to uh, applaud the draft community for really pushing the different labels for players to go edge rusher and linebacker. For yeah. the longest time, it was like, Von Miller's a linebacker. How are the Broncos picking him? Like, he's not a linebacker in the general sense. He's yeah. an edge rusher. So it's been over the last... I think almost five to seven years now where even in the draft cycle, guys get labeled as either linebackers or edge or rush. Edge, so yeah. it's a totally, like you just said, Chris, totally different job responsibility. Coverage is gigantic. To me, it's the most vital element to playing that off-ball linebacker role. Edge rusher, you're getting downhill. You're bending the corner. Uh, you got to play with a lot of point of attack power. Just It probably hasn't happened because, again, it's just totally different job duties. Now, I will say – if the league continues to move towards the need for matchup linebackers and they, and the middle linebacker gets lighter and lighter and lighter, and you get down to consistent guys, 230, 225, and you've got, and I'm, and I'm thinking of a guy like a Nolan Smith, mm-hmm. you know, the guy's athletic skill set is off the charts. You could probably put him anywhere with the exception of defensive tackle to hold up against the run. You could put him anywhere in the front seven there, and his athletic skill set would probably allow him to get by. Would he excel at any at all those roles? Probably not. But you get a freak of an athlete like that, maybe that's somebody you can move around. We shouldn't forget the fact that Tremaine Edmonds was a strong side stand-up linebacker at Virginia Tech, and they did make him a middle linebacker. Mm-hmm. That's about the closest, closest example, Eddie, I can get to what you're suggesting. Um, the only other way. I think we are moving towards more positionless football, yeah. but those are two very different positions. I was just going to say the only way that I could see this happening or becoming commonplace in the NFL is if uh, like more teams like the San Francisco 49ers and the Baltimore Ravens want to take advantage yeah. of the lack of size and weight at the linebacker spot and start you know, pulling guards and having two, three extra offensive linemen and basing their offense around running the football power running I don't think that's going to happen, though, because of all the analytics movement and it has really yeah. made it very clear that passing the football is the most efficient way to move the football and to score points in the NFL. But if we see more teams start to say, hey, look, that linebacker's 215, that one's 220, let's start to run, then you could maybe see teams say, hey, we need to beef up back to where we were right. in the 80s and 90s at the linebacker Yeah, spot. definitely cycles, that's for yeah. sure. I mean, what do we – 10, 12 years removed from Jeremiah Trotter. I mean, that guy was 260-pound middle linebacker for Brandon the Eagles. Brandon Spikes was a big one. Yeah, Brandon Spikes, 255. Like, those guys don't exist now. Big guys are 230. One bill that I think would have been so good in today's era that was 
not really that great, Keith Ellison. You remember him. Oh, yeah. Small, tiny guy. Tiny, like six foot. 225. 225, and he was pretty athletic. He just got bowled over by those pulling guards, those tight ends at the second level. He was actually pretty good in coverage, made a few plays here and there, but it was always, oh, he's just not big enough. Now it's funny, a decade later, looking back and saying Keith Ellison is like the same size as Matt Milano, who's and, an all-pro. And this is crazy to think, too. We all remember Brian Scott, who was a safety on this roster. There were, towards the end of his career, they had him playing like a hybrid linebacker, but that guy at that size would be a full-time linebacker oh, now. Oh, for sure. Absolutely. Without even a second thought. Mm-hmm. And it just goes to show you how much the game has changed in favor of the pass here. We have to step aside, but hour number two is all phone calls all the time. So if you have a question here on this Friday fan mailbag, fire it off at us at 803-0550-1888-550-2550, the toll-free number to get on board if you're outside the 716 calling area. Chris and I answering more of your questions on the phone lines and on the tweet sheet here on One Bills Live, presented by Collider Health. It's Buffalo Bills Radio. Live, presented by Kaleida Health. Hour number two on a Friday. Chris Brown, Chris Paso with you as we have the Friday fan mailbag open for your questions. Fire them off to us at 803-0550-1888-550-2550. The numbers to get on board. And, you know, we're all calls the rest of the show. So if you have a question, send it to us. You can also hit us up uh, on Twitter at One Bills Live. We'll get to some of those here shortly because we do have a list of questions that have already been submitted. But phone lines are open if you want to go the uh, express route to get your question answered at 803-0550. But let's, uh, let's dive into the bag here of tweets. And TJ says, hey, guys, I know you probably can't say, but has there been any chatter about red helmets around One Bill's Drive this offseason? I got to tell you, it's been crickets here. Like, nobody's – there isn't even, like – any kind of rumors going around. I have heard zero about red helmets. And I know this kind of blew up a little bit on social this week. Rousseau and Knox, yeah. Greg Rousseau, Dawson Knox. What they have, like red helmets that they signed for something? Or what yeah, was it? Yeah, it was like on their Instagram stories individually, it was something with Labatt Blue, like an ad. But it okay. was definitely the 90s red helmet. Yeah, which you'll see from time to time. Um, I know most of the current players – if they're doing signings, they'll sign the white helmets. First of all, a signature looks better on a white helmet, in my <laughs> personal opinion. Um, I understand the affinity for the red helmets. It's from an era of great success for this football team. So I, I understand why people like it. Um, I was just talking to my son the other day, and he was saying, you know, if the Bills did a throwback jersey, he goes, I'd love to see the 90s jerseys. Yeah, Because he's too young. He, did, he didn't experience that. And I think he want, he said he would like to see those, you know, in person. Like, I want to see what those 90s jerseys looks like, look like. 
um, you know, basically having only seen them in old, old YouTube clips. Yeah, and that would jibe with what the NFL seemingly is doing with the Creamsicles coming back with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Yep. Uh, I believe the Eagles, or are they coming back with the Kelly Greens? Oh, are they doing that? Yeah, I think so. Okay. And the Broncos tease that in a couple weeks that they're going to come back with their D with the Bronco in it helmet okay. from the Elway era. And like the lighter blue. The lighter blue, yeah, yeah. not like the navy, like the yeah. royal blue color. So it seems like, and it's for us, it's kind of dating us, that it's like, oh, the throwbacks are now the 90s, what we yeah. vividly remember watching. Um, that's kind of kids are wearing clothes from the 90s, and I think that would make the most sense. I think, and I've tweeted this a bunch, so if you follow me on Twitter, you've, you've seen this take from me on a yearly basis. The league should have... Thursday night football should be throwback Thursday, and every Thursday night football game should be like a throwback jersey. Whether it they is they made it the color rush game, the years color ago. rush game, and the Bills had that uh, colorblind game where the, oh yeah, the Reds and the Greens, the Reds and the Greens, With the Jets, yeah. yeah. So they tried to like generate revenue that way. How about just tap into the nostalgia, or for someone that's like your son's age, to see the '90s uniforms again every single Thursday? Obviously, that's a you know would be a whole league wide initiative, but. I obviously don't know anything on that front either. It would make sense because it seems like a few teams across the board are coming out and saying that we're either going to wear our helmets or yeah. our full-scale jerseys from the 90s. And it is a process. You have to put in a request to the league for them to authorize it and all of that stuff. I mean, I haven't heard anything. Why would anybody let us know if they're pushing to enact a situation where for a couple of games they might change their look? I don't know, but... It has been crickets here. So we have heard absolutely nothing uh, on that front. Next question comes from Ed, who asks, what pleasant surprises on the Bills' offense might we see this season? So I think this might be player or scheme development. I think all of that, anything on the offense, kind of falls under the umbrella that Ed has opened up here. So what pleasant surprises on the Bills' offense might we see for you? What do you, what do you think? Uh, I'm going to go with Khalil Shakir. Uh, okay. That we have these newcomers in Buffalo, Deontay Hardy, Trent Sherfield. They're established veterans. They've played in different schemes, though, in different cities. And Khalil Shakir, yes, he only had 15 catches last season, but he does have at least that leg up on Deontay Hardy and Trent Sherfield in that he has that rapport with Josh Allen. He made a couple big catches uh, in the playoff game early in that rain-soaked win over the Ravens. He made a couple big catches in the second half. Um, of that game there was a really nice catch down the seam against the Steelers that I remember vividly that was like kind of a back shoulder where it almost was like Josh Allen put it in the only spot where Shakir could catch it and he did and and this has been my biggest point my point of emphasis this offseason for the Bills he's good after the catch they have Stephon Diggs he's always going to be near the top of the league in every category route running hands all that speed yards after the catch Gabe Davis is not that guy Deontay Hardy has shown that he can be that guy, but he hasn't been able to stay healthy. I don't know if that's necessarily Trent Sherfield's game. From watching him at Boise State and then a little bit last season, especially in that Ravens game, Shakir has that lower center of gravity kind of built like a running back. I think they want to get better in that regard. So him having the one year of experience already with Josh Allen, his tendencies, where he likes to throw the football. I think Khalil Shakir is going to be a pleasant surprise in this offense. Yeah, I would say a pleasant surprise will be the increased use of 12 personnel. I'm not going to pretend to know what kind of jump we're going to see because obviously – In terms of percentage used? Yes. Okay. Uh, you know, we're, 
I'm not going to pretend to know how much that percentage is going to jump. Obviously, it's going to be predicated not only on their opponent every week, but also on how successful they are at executing it. Mm. But knowing Kincaid and Knox are both accomplished receivers at the position, I just think that they'd almost be foolish not to try to tap into that as a personnel grouping that they can use to their advantage, particularly in the red zone. Because even though you may have Kincaid and Knox on the field, you can still put Davis and Diggs out there with a single back. And now you got six foot, six two, six three and a half, and six five as targets in the end zone. You know, maybe with Cook in the backfield, or if you want to bring the hammer in, Damian Harris or Latavius Murray or whoever you have in mind, big back, whatever. I, I, I think we're going to see 12 personnel, and this is just a hunch of mine the most down in the red zone because, it, to me, it just makes too much sense in terms of the options it affords you. That's not to say you won't see it between the 20s, but I, I think that's going to be like a go-to personnel grouping. For, for some them. numbers behind that, uh, the Bills were second to last in the NFL in 12 personnel last season. Only like 3.6% or something? This site says 8% of the time. Okay, Maybe that was on passes or on runs, but still, only the Raiders were a lower percentage, yeah. 7% of the time. And there's teams like the Chiefs, 32% of the time. Well, they Yeah, and they went three tight end a good deal, too, last year. They I mean, for 13 personnel isn't a popular formation no. by any means this day and age in the NFL, but I would see them even use that a handful of times in a given week. The Chiefs use that 10% of the time. So they use three tight ends more than the Bills used two, two tight ends. Yeah. And, of course, they have Travis Kelsey, but they don't have, like, three. It's not like a Noah Gray had a nice season he for did. them. He did. But coming into the year, no one was game right. planning for him. He wasn't a big signing. He was a, you know, mid-round pick out of Duke. Um I think having that formation where you're using it more, just from looking at it, it looks like a run formation. And no, Dalton Kincaid's not going to come in and be George Kittle as a blocker right away, but you have to respect the size, like you're mentioning, beyond mm-hmm. just in the red zone, between the 20s, that you don't really want your smaller safety or uh, smaller slot corner in the box when you have 6'4", 245 Dawson Knox and the same size with Dalton Kincaid, then it makes your passing that much more efficient because you get those better matchups um, from a traditional run formation. There's been a lot of analytics that have talked about that is the one formation that is clearly the most uh, efficient way or optimal way to move the football. If you have two good tight ends or just literally using two tight ends, mm-hmm. if you've got to get the coaching staff to be behind those players, and I would assume with Knox and a first-round pick, we're going to see a large uptick, like you said. Back to the Twitter page, and next question comes from Steve. What is parking and traffic going to look like this season? It's a, um, it's a good question. It, yeah, and this is a, my dad wants to know this, it's too. It's a question that affects <laughs> you know everybody that's coming out to a game. The roads will not be impacted by the construction going on across the street here at Abbott Road. Uh, all we've been told to this point is the camper lot will be impacted. They'll have to find a new destination for those of you who park in the camper lot. We have been given no other information on the other parking lots. Obviously, they're digging a giant hole in the ground, so that's going to impact that too. But we have not been given any guidance as to what that means as far as where the parking lost over there is going to be situated going forward. So we'll have to wait and see on that. And I would imagine, 
as we get closer here in the coming weeks to the first preseason game mm-hmm. on August 12th, that there will be more clear-cut answers on that in terms of you know parking availability, what you got to do to to you know do the workaround because we're going to be doing a workaround here for about three years, yeah. yep. so uh, we all got to get kind of get used to it, knowing that there are going to be probably some extra circumstances we're all going to have to deal with in terms of where we're going to be parking our cars here on game days. Now, just driving up today, is there any expansion of the parking lots in ECC? Because it looks like, I don't know if that's just the perimeter of the construction of the new stadium, but it looks like it's pretty far away from where the new stadium is going to be. And there were like fences that said like ECC construction ongoing. I didn't know that could help because that's a lot of land over there. There is a lot of land over there. The only drawback is you would have to walk around the construction site. You can't like cut through that lot just because you can't park there. Mm -hmm. Um, So that is a drawback. But if there aren't any other options, I think they would have to entertain it as, you know, probably a solution. But we'll have to wait and see what the official word is on that. All we know is the camper lot is going to have to be relocated, essentially. That was the only guidance we've been given on any of the game day parking to this point, Steve. I wish I had more for you, but that's all we've got right now. Andrew asks, one thing's for sure. Bean has done his homework and brought in exceptional talent in the offseason. Cutting down to the 53-man roster is going to be a very hard task just because of how good that roster is now. Who do you think is an odd player out I think we're gonna see I mean obviously like the bills are gonna have to cut 20 or yeah I guess more than that players um so that will ultimately happen but I think there's gonna be two trades I could see one of AJ Epinesa or Boogie Basham whoever just whether they have a good training camp and preseason and that raises their trade value and they get moved or they're just not cutting it one of those two, and maybe one of the running backs. I could see Naheem Hines, and I feel like we talked about this last time, or maybe it was Maddie. And I, I think it might have been Maddie. Maddie, that with the crowded running back room now, suddenly going from kind of a weakness to the roster to now, I think one of the strengths of the roster, with in terms of the amount of quality running backs you have, the diversity in their talent, and now with the new kickoff rule, Naheem Hines obviously was a. Very splashy kick returner last season. If that impact gets reduced, I think it's going to be hard for him to make the roster. And being because this is probably the deepest roster that he's ever fielded, I think he will be having the phone lines open for one of his kind of vintage. And I actually think two vintage being August trades. Right. And to Andrew's point, the roster is so good right now that you don't just want to throw capable NFL talent overboard and just cut them. Yeah. Uh, You want to take advantage of an opportunity if it presents itself. For example, some team could have a rash of injuries at the defensive end spot. They're desperate for an influx of talent. They're going to call the Bills. Yeah, they will call Buffalo and say, hey, who do you got that we can have? Because we need somebody that's going to make a difference here. Uh, And there are other positions where the Bills could probably help a team. So – yeah, I think there will be opportunities out there. And some may want to try to play the waiting game and say, well, they'll probably have to cut that player anyway. He's not going to make the roster. Why am I going to give something up if the Bills have to cut the guy anyway? The difference is you're now competing against 30 other teams for that player's services. You're, it's not mm-hmm. a guaranteed lock that you're going to get that player. And that's what sometimes prompts a team 
to orchestrate a trade rather than wait for a team to cut the players knowing the roster cutdown day is coming to get to 53. Let's not forget, a few years ago, Brandon Bean was able to trade Lee Smith to the Falcons for a seventh-round pick like in August. Like a veteran yep. blocking tight end, a very good blocking tight end, a, a leader in the locker room. He likes to make those trades um, in the offseason. Wyatt Teller maybe one that he would maybe like to have back, although it was instrumental into some other moves that they ultimately made. So or, He got a sixth-round pick sixth. from the Patriots for Russell Bodine. Remember that yeah, one? Yeah, see, so he he's very much, not only is it in his blood as a GM, I think other GMs know that, that, hey, if we call Brandon Bean, we could probably talk him into a trade. And what you mentioned, the team is just loaded at a lot of positions. So if there is a rash of injuries at defensive end or at running back or at corner or along the offensive or defensive lines, you want to call Buffalo because it's one of the best, deepest rosters in the NFL. 803-0550, the number to get on board. And we're going to go back to the phones now and to Kevin in Hamburg. What do you got for us, Kevin? You're on one hey of those guys, slides. how you doing? Thanks for taking my call. Sure. I'd like to go back to what Bob said, one of your earliest callers on the show, that said about how we got shunned because whether it be the Diggs thing, the way we ended last year getting spanked by the Bengals, the way the Jets and Aaron Rodgers might be their new Joe Namath, all that garbage. And I noticed that sometimes in life, like in sports, the shocker is the best. I, you know, it's like in the, even in the movies. I remember the first time I saw the Karate Kid, I'm like, there's no way this scrawny kid with a maintenance guy is going to take down the Cobra Kai. And he's like, wow, he took down the Cobra Kai. Or Buster Douglas and the Tyson thing. I couldn't yeah. believe when he beat Tyson. I'm like, what? There's no way he beat Tyson. You know, and all that. So sometimes if we do and we win it all, we'll be our own taking down the Cobra Kai. In this case, would be the cheese. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's nice to have a, a, a target right in your face. Because when things happened last year, turnovers and all that, people started, uh-oh, here we go. They're going down the toilet. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, no, no I, I, I get what you're saying, Kevin, and thanks for the call. I, I would say that, you know, what you're looking at there might the, the analogies and the parallels you're trying to draw, I think are a little different than the boat that the bills are in, at least in my estimation, because, you know, karate kid, the kid's an underdog, you know, just learned karate and he's got this unbelievable crane kick that he learned from, as you put it, the maintenance man, Mr. Miyagi, and he, you know, defeats the Cobra Kai or whatever, you know, and your other parallels, they were all very entertaining don't get me wrong, but I don't think, even though the Bills are kind of getting tamped down by the national media as a team that is no longer elite, they're upper echelon, but maybe they're not up there with the Chiefs and the Bengals in a lot of people's estimation. I think that is a, a gross miscalculation. So to me, seeing them as this plucky underdog, it doesn't wash for me. As Steve says all the time, They've been good enough to win it the last three years. Yep. They just got to play better in the playoff games. Play play better on that day, and they have not done that. But they've been good enough to win the whole thing the last three years. It just hasn't manifested itself for them. Hopefully that changes. Yeah, and let's not forget last year they were a fumbled snap away or uh, a, a Justin Jefferson one-handed, left-handed catch on fourth down away from being the one seed in the AFC, even with the DeMar Hamlin game, they would have been the one seed 
and they were pretty much cruising the entire season. They had what? Their point differential in losses was what? Eight, eight points? Nine points? Eight, lost three games by eight points. Eight points. So because they didn't win a Super Bowl, we can reflect back now and say, hey, they ultimately didn't live up to the hype. That's true in a sense, but it's not as though they fell woefully short of uh, you know those preseason expectations. The, the game against the Bengals was a different Bills team in terms of there just wasn't the same players out there. Von Miller wasn't out there. Daquan Jones wasn't out there. We've talked about this all season, but in general, I think the Bills have actually done a good job. They did a good job last year um, meeting those expectations for the most part throughout the regular season, going 13-3, and um, hosting playoff games. And I think they've kind of been both now. They've been that favorite, and I think in general, Buffalo is always going to be that underdog. Maybe they're kind of the underdog among the elite teams, which is actually, I think, a pretty good spot to be in because, like you mentioned, Chris, earlier – it still provides Sean McDermott and the coaching staff and maybe even the front office some bullet board material for the players um, entering the season. Yeah, I don't think there's any question about that. Um, and I think McDermott and probably these players don't mind laying in the weeds a little bit for sure. after all the pub and hype that they got last year. Let's go back to the phones. We go to Jeff in Buffalo next. What do you got for us, Jeff? Uh, hi, guys. Um I was just wondering uh, about Dalton Kincaid. He, okay. he seems to be a – I mean, I only watched him play in one game, uh, Utah against uh, USC, which you know, a lot of people one. saw. It's a heck of a and game. he just it lit it game. up. I mean, he was a completely – seemed to be a completely different type wide receiver – or not receiver, wide – tight end. Completely different type of tight end than Dawson Knox. He, uh, he was fast. I mean, he had the speed of – he looked like he had the speed of a wide receiver – uh, and I mean, I remember during the course of that game, I was I, two or three times. I said, uh, "Whoa, uh, who is this guy?" And I hope we can get him. Uh, and then, now he's there. And I'm just wondering if you guys watched him play more. Of course, you did, probably. Uh, and uh, I'm just wondering if you see the same thing that he he could be a complete he could be a difference maker if he's the guy that I that I saw against USC. Wondering what you guys think about that. Yeah, I'll let Chris take this since he does a lot of homework on the draft, and then I'll chime in here. So here's my quick scouting report on him pre-draft. Uh, he was the most explosive and probably best route runner among all the tight ends, and it was a very, very good tight end class. Amazing hands. We saw all in the um, uh, YouTube video that the Bills put out that their, their senior director of football research, Dennis Locke, mentioned that best hands that he's ever seen in his time scouting. I agree with that among the tight end position only had two drops on 165 targets in his college career. Um, I think he has a very high floor. The fact that he is older, uh, he's going to be 24 in October, I don't love that for his long-term upside. You'd like him to be 20, 21 years old. But in terms of the fact that he already is that age, I think he can come in, run good routes, find the hole in zone, and kind of be, which it's like my favorite nickname of the offseason, Swole Beasley, that he can be that bigger type player. I've seen it on Twitter a little bit. Like that? Someone's got to make it a T-shirt. Uh, that he can be that possession guy that can run good routes, and I think he's pretty sneaky good after the catch as well. I was just concerned about the fact that he really didn't break out until he was older, and that was really my only concern with him. So to get him as the first tight end off the board to add to this offense right now for 2023, if we're not looking at – projecting him forward yes I do think he can be an instant impact player that opens up a lot of other things and a lot of other players aren't seeing double coverage as much anymore like Gabriel Davis or Stefan Diggs 
Dalton Kincaid's hands are bigger than Josh Allen's. That's insane. It's a big reason why he is such a sure-handed receiver of the ball. He had four drops in his entire college career over four-plus seasons. And I just think you're asking how is he different from Knox. The biggest difference is just the fluidity in the way that he runs routes. There is a a fluidity to his game because he can really run. Dawson is an athlete. And he can make plays for you, but he is more of the box-out variety. He's a little stiffer in the hips. You know, he can't bend and twist and turn and get in and out of breaks the same way that Dalton can. He's just such a fluid and loose-hipped athletic player. It affords him the ability to get separation much easier than Dawson does. Now, that's not to say that Dawson can't be a productive player. Heck, he's got 15 touchdowns the last two seasons. There's only two guys with more at the tight end position, Kelsey and Kittle. Wow. That's it. Yeah. So he's a productive player. But as Steve and I have said, Dalton Kincaid here, I think could make Knox an even bigger touchdown producer. Yeah, and they're just totally different tight ends. I think when the Bills traded up to pick Dawson Knox, they were all about his upside, and he has become, he's developed into a very big-time touchdown producer, as Chris just pointed out. They're different, though, beyond how you kind of differentiated their athleticism because Knox is a good athlete, Kincaid's more fluid. In terms of their experience just catching the football in college, Dawson Knox had 39 catches at Ole Miss. Yeah. He had A.J. Brown and D.K. Metcalf on that offense, so that was a little yeah, hard. Yeah, their offense doesn't run through the tight end either down there. Exactly. So it was hard for him to see the football. Dalton Kincaid caught 126 passes, so basically four times as many passes in college. That's why I think the floor is higher, and we saw some of those growing pains early in Dawson Knox's career that he's kind of – been able to round out of his game as he's gotten into year three and year four. Dalton Kincaid, I think, can come in right away and be further ahead of where Dawson Knox was as a rookie. Yeah, I think for a team that is often reluctant to thrust rookies into large roles, I really think that Kincaid can be an exception Mm -hmm. to that rule to the point that you made. Him already being 24, he's a more mature player, a lot of experience in college, so I think that affords him the chance, an enhanced chance, to be on the field a lot, get a lot of reps, and hopefully a lot of opportunities yep. in the passing game. Break time for us here. When we come back, more of your questions. Got open lines for you at 803-0550, 1-888-550-2550, the number to get on board if you have a question about the Bills or the league at large. Let her rip. Also got some questions we still have to get to on Twitter. We'll try to fire off as many of those answers as we can here next on One Bills Live. Stay tuned. All right, welcome back to One Bills Live. Chris Brown, Chris Trapasso with you. OBL Fan Friday mailbag is open either on Twitter or on the phone lines where we have an open line for you at 803-0550, We're going to go to Twitter questions first. Connor asks, who do you think the starting five will be on the offensive line? Mm. Here are mine. Left to right, he's got Dawkins, McGovern, Morse, Osiris Torrance, Mm. and Spencer Brown. Now, I think realistically, right guard is probably the number one position that could see a change. Up for grabs, yeah. Spencer Brown figures to have some competition from Brandon Shell, who I think was brought in to push him even more than Questenberry could last year. So I think those are the only positions we really – 
could foresee a change outside of the other three. I think most of us feel McGovern's a foregone conclusion. He was the largest contract investment in the offensive line this offseason. And I think, yeah, the largest free agent contract for the team this offseason. That guy's not sitting on the bench when he's getting paid that kind of money. So I think everybody anticipates he will be the replacement for Roger Saffold. But the right guard position potentially could have three candidates there. The incumbent Ryan Bates, Osiris Torrance, the second-round pick, and David Edwards, the free agent that they brought over from the Rams. Those three guys could all be in the mix for that spot. And Steve and I were having this conversation earlier this week, Chris. You look at the size of the linemen they've signed this offseason. Osiris Torrance drafted over 320 pounds. David Edwards, six foot five, 320 pounds. Connor McGovern, six four and a half, 320 pounds. Ryan Bates, six foot three, 305 pounds. It seems as though the acquisitions are telling you there's a philosophy shift mm-hmm. of the type of player they want on the interior. They want to just be more mashing up front. I think that's clearly what it says. That's what you're getting at. Um, I think with Ryan Bates, even if he doesn't win that starting right guard role, that I think he actually held down pretty well last year. It doesn't mean he's going to be caught or going to be traded. I think they value his legitimate five-position versatility. Yeah, he's and versatile. With, with Mitch Morse, his concussion history, given his age, I think he's certainly entrenched as the starting center. But if he goes down or maybe he dips in play, you can plug in Ryan Bates, and I think they would feel really good about that. So that's one area that I actually think kind of helps Osiris Torrance, that – Ryan Bates is a good right guard, but he's also super versatile and can play anywhere as your swing tackle, your swing guard, your swing interior offensive lineman. I actually like that same starting five for week one. So you like Osiris to win the job. I do. Yeah. I do. I, I, I like Edwards. He's a proven player, but there is an injury history there that's of concern, similar to that of Mitch Morse. Um, that's not to say he can't come in and earn the job. He could. But I think, I think Osiris Torrance, even if he proves to be at the same level as a Ryan Bates or a David Edwards in terms of execution, um, ability to play with his fellow linemen, you know, play off one another effectively, et cetera, that could be enough to give him the job because he's just scratching the surface. Yeah. The upside there is... If he's good enough now to give you just as good a play as a Ryan Bates or a David Edwards, who are starters in this league or have been, you probably lean that way because he fits the body type you want in there. And you anticipate that with each successive start, he's only going to get better and better and better. Yeah, and similar to Dawson or to Dalton Kincaid, uh, the Bills' first round pick, Osiris Torrance is very experienced. Only one year at Florida. But at Louisiana Lafayette, before that, you combine those together, over 3,000 snaps in college. So you could say, hey, look, he only played one year in the SEC. You watch his film before that, he was dominant. He was an awesome player at Louisiana, made that jump already. And I think that's important. And the Bills have pointed out that they like that this is a player that already kind of made a you know small school jump to the SEC. Now he's going from the SEC to the NFL. And it wasn't too big for him. The 
lights were not too bright for him at Florida facing Alabama and, and facing that Georgia defensive line that sends all these NFL players to the league. So I think with Osiris Torrance, like Kincaid, actually has a pretty high floor where you might not project him to be the best guard in the NFL in five seasons, but you like where he's going to start from as a rookie. Yeah. David asks, looking at the road schedule, the Bills have three long road trips after their bye, Kansas City, L.A., and Miami. Do you see this as an issue that may impact the end of the season? You'd rather have your long trips on the front half of your schedule rather than the back half, but there are home games sandwiched in between those three road dates that you mentioned. So that kind of mitigates what you're describing there to some degree. If you had two of those in a row, I would be concerned. But because they have the Cowboys home game and the Patriots home game sandwiched in between those three road dates, I feel a little bit better about them. Um, the Chargers one, I think, is going to be the toughest because it's a night game on a Sunday on the West Coast. Those guys are not getting back until 6, 7 in the morning on Monday. Yeah, that's a good point. I think if you're looking at the schedule, uh, the fact that – and certainly – the Bills have a, a on paper, a tough schedule. That's what happens when you win the division um, and just kind of how it aligns with the other uh, divisions that they're playing. It, it's pretty tough on paper. There are a lot of high-caliber quarterbacks. But given that, the fact that they only have one back-to-back road game and there's the bye week sandwiched in between it, uh, November 26th against the Eagles, then the bye week, you get the extra rest, the extra preparation time for that road contest on December 10th against the Chiefs. I think that's about as nice of a schedule as the Bills could have asked for. And, and then to have October 1st, 8th, and 15th home games, I know there's one in London, to have a bunch of those early games at home mm-hmm. where you're not saying, hey, look, we have four games post-Thanksgiving at home where the weather's going to be a factor, maybe not a total sellout where the crowd can be as big of an impact as they can earlier in the season when the weather is a lot nicer. I think it was really laid out for the Bills nicely to not have three in a row on the road or not have back-to-back weeks having to travel. This one uh, comes from Gabe, who asks, which Bills contracts can be rewritten to free up DeAndre Hopkins' cash? I, I got to say, I don't think the Bills want to kick the can down the road on any contract in terms of a restructure. You want to talk signing somebody to an extension to free up money. I think that's the more likely play mm-hmm. if they want to do that. You could have – there's candidates like Gabe Davis, you know, players like that. I don't think anyone they signed to a one-year deal this offseason would be extended necessarily, but – I guess if DeAndre Hopkins calls you up and says, yeah, I'll come for the veteran minimum, and your only means of doing that is by signing Taylor Rapp to an extension of two more years, well, he's a 25-year-old player. Okay, go ahead, man. Lock him up. Um, I could see you know, that, but what is Hopkins going to do? I don't know. We've kind of gone around in circles about this thing. I think ultimately the money is going to be what matters. He's – He's already chapped that he couldn't get a contract like Beckham got when he was a guy that played last year and Beckham did not. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. That really bothers him. And so knowing that, I think he's going to try to maximize whatever he can get financially. Now, if, the, if all the offers are relatively the same, 
well, then, yeah, he's going to go probably somewhere where he knows he can get to the playoffs, probably maximize his value for next offseason. Yep. But if that's not the case, he's going to go take the money wherever he can get the most, I think. The only other extension candidate I could see, you mentioned Gabriel Davis and maybe some of those one-year deal-type players, Daquan Jones. He's up there in age. He's on the wrong side of 30, but he proved to be an integral and kind of a unique force as that block-eating player on the interior of the defensive line. He was definitely their best run stuffer. He was missed dearly in the playoff game against the Bengals when he was that late healthy – or not healthy scratch, but a late scratch in that game. He's the only one that I could see where they could extend him to free up some cap space for DeAndre Hopkins. He and Gabe Davis right now, just looking at the roster, guys who are entrenched already on the team that are not on one-year deals – Unless there's someone that we're forgetting, I think those are really the only two options if they really wanted to make this work yeah. with Hopkins. I mean, we know Coach McDermott likes Dane Jackson a lot. Mm-hmm. He's on a one-year contract. Um, he's an option, I suppose. Still a young player. You know, he's one of your top four corners on the outside. No matter which way the depth chart shakes out, at least I think, yeah, he's on a yeah, he's yeah. on a one-year deal. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So. I mean, he's an option that I guess you could extend and, you know, you'd still have prime years of his career coming up. So, but yeah, I mean, there's always ways. It's funny because even our guys in the control room, the cap is not real. Uh, (laughs) It is real, but it can be very easily manipulated. Yes. And that's kind of what everybody needs to kind of understand. At the same time, we've heard Brandon Bean time and again talk about how year over year he wants to remain cap strong so he has the maneuverability to do certain things when the opportunity presents itself, whether it's we have a rash of injuries, we need to sign somebody off the street to fortify a position, or, holy cow, Von Miller wants to come play for us? Okay, let's call him. Yeah. Um, so knowing that, and, and granted, that plan got totally blown up by the COVID slide back of the cap. I mean, it screwed everybody, let's be honest, but – it's the cap right now still isn't where they envisioned it would be in the initial projections before COVID. And it's really kind of upset the apple cart for a lot of GMs that are trying to be fiscally responsible with the contracts they signed players to. It's unfortunate. And it's going to be very interesting to see going from this season to next season, where there might be some turnover of some household names that have been on this roster for some time that they just flat out can't afford to keep anymore. Yeah, and I think that is something that needs to be built into every GM's philosophy, that you need to be able to finagle the cap. Brandon Bean, like you mentioned, has done a great job with that. But like you said, that Steve always mentions that in each of the last three seasons, the Bills have been right there, and they've been a team good enough on paper, and then when we've seen them play, to win a Super Bowl. It ultimately hasn't happened. I think it's the GM's responsibility to not just say, hey, let's win a Super Bowl, but to also remain competitive and to be a contender because you never know what injuries are going to hit other teams or you or which way the ball is going to ultimately bounce. So I think the fact that Brandon Bean has been able to not just go all in one season and then have a you know bad rash of injuries and then you're kind of screwed in the future, the fact that he's been able to keep the Bills as perennially consistent and contending is really hats off to him that he's been able to be aggressive, but also kind of walk the line of not being over aggressive. Reckless. Yeah. With reckless, the spending. Yes. Reckless with the spending where the bills are, Oh crap, we can't sign anybody. We can't make that trade for Von Miller or, you know, sign him or trade for Stefan Diggs and sign him to extensions in the future. 
We have to break here. When we come back, Austin Eckler is ticked that he doesn't make as much money as some number three wide receivers on other teams. Could the NFLPA get involved here? We're going to discuss that when we come back here on One Bills Live, presented by Collada Health. It's Buffalo Bills Radio. All right, L.A. Chargers running back Austin Eckler is hot that there are number three receivers in the league making more money than him. He doesn't feel that fits the value because he believes he touches the ball, makes a bigger impact on his team's fortunes than a number three receiver, and he's probably right. The question I have for you, Chris Trapasso, is this. Can you foresee a time where the NFLPA gets involved and says, you know what, we want to lobby to do away with the position tags hmm. to reset the market. I think we're getting closer and closer to positionless football. I'm wondering how close they have to get for the NFLPA to step up for a player like Austin Eckler and say, he's not a running back, he's a playmaker, and playmakers should make this much per year. Yeah, I think that will be something that will be talked about in the next CBA. Uh, I even think back to, what, five years ago when Le'Veon Bell was like, hey, I caught a ton of passes with the Steelers, and I'm getting this running back tag when – the appeal and the production from Le'Veon Bell and Austin Eckler in this case, Alvin Kamara, Christian McCaffrey, they're so good multi-tool weapons. I think James Cook with the Bills yeah. is kind of the same deal. Yeah, he might have like a 50-catch season this year uh, for all we know. In my head, I'm reading this story, and he's so mad about you know him having a giant impact on the team and a number three receiver not nearly as much in most cases. He would be right. And I'm sitting there thinking to myself, do running backs have to go out there with like signs that say hey running backs catch the ball too yeah like it's a passing league but we do catch the ball they do they do especially Eckler that'll do it for this week thanks for all the questions you fired off at us hopefully we did a good job answering Chris thanks for coming in and helping as always Steve back in on Monday I'm off next week I'll see you training camp week have a good weekend